I don't feel good about myself. I'm just scared if I don't like myself if other people think that same thing. I feel like I don't fit in well, and I feel like that. What if people don't think I'm good? So I like I feel worried, and then like I I don't think I'm 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 good. But then I have to try to remind myself, but it never works. What if people don't like what I'm doing doing at school? Like what if playing? There's never been a time when they haven't let me play, but I'm still worried they won't let me play. I think I'm doing poorly in math and spelling. I do not know if I'm getting better or not. About, I'm not a big fan of gym, but I probably don't like it because I kind of feel like, like I'm scared of the ball that we're playing with or something. It feels like there's butterflies in my stomach. My hands kind of feel hot. My thoughts get faster. Wow. Welcome to Dear Anxiety. Self-compassion is our subject for today. That is the voice of a child who is describing all kinds of uh, mental health, emotional feelings, thoughts. And uh, that makes me, first of all, it makes me want to hug this child. But secondly, those voices are in my head still, and I'm not a child anymore. So you're listening to Dear Anxiety. This is the show about mental health and how we deal with it. It's how we practice it, how we explore it, how we express it, the science of it. I'm Ed Krasnick. My co-host is Rini Jane. She's coming right up. And you just heard this incredible child. And what do we do? How do we deal with being kind to ourselves, being compassionate? It is a science. It's a skill. Uh, When it comes to emotional health, we're all children learning together. That's why we play uh, a child uh, exploring that at the top of the show and at the end of the show. Practicing self-compassion, being kind to yourself. And just like that skill, our show is for everybody, people of all ages, whether you're a parent, a teen, married or single, we're all in it together. We all need it. My partner's a leading expert, thank God she's here, in resilience, anxiety relief, and the founder of GoZen which teaches resilience and happiness skills to kids, parents, and schools. She has a master's degree in applied positive psychology from University of Pennsylvania, Rini Jane. And Rini, welcome to Self-Compassion City. I know you're a self-compassionista. Is, is that the key ingredient that brought you into this work and that, that keeps you in it? I love that. I feel like a coffee goes along with saying self-compassionista instead of the barista, right? (laughs) Yeah. You're brewing self-compassion, yes. I had no idea that there was any other way to live aside from having a gremlin in your head that basically beats you up day in and day out. It's what how I lived my life growing up. And I literally thought this was a motivating force or I knew that it felt bad. When my brain was saying I wasn't enough and I wasn't adequate and I shouldn't be worried all the time. But I kind of looked at it as, well, maybe this is the way I get things done, you know, by continually telling myself that. And I feel like people say it out loud all the time, right? We we criticize ourselves. And so it's socially acceptable to say, oh, I'm just, I'm not doing enough. I'm not getting enough done. I'll never get it finished. And we verbalize it. I think we live in mostly cities of self-criticism. I don't know, Ed, you can think of the clever name for that. Yes. Self-critic. 
criticism city is all that's yeah, coming out yeah, from me. Yeah, criticity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Criticity. Exactly. Criticity. Um, but I love self-compassion city and I'm excited to explore this topic, especially in light of what we heard at the top of the show with a child being so raw and telling us about every one of those thousands of thoughts going through their mind that we all have, frankly, right? We're all kids. Yeah. I mean, what's so powerful way. about listening to that child is that that is the vulnerability of the voice inside your head. It, it, it really does feel that black and white when it comes to self-criticism. It's either good or it's not good. It's bad. I, when I was a kid growing up, I would, I would think to myself, I have a feeling and I'm bad. I literally would say it to myself. I was either bad or good. And most of the time I was bad. You and had when a feeling was, like what? Give us an example. What does that well, mean? Well, like, like, like if I was scared, for example. I, I was scared. I didn't know it was okay to feel fear. So here I felt fear, but I actually had a fear of fear. So I thought I was bad. If I have this feeling of fear, it means that I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. Now, my family was very loving, but I learned this somewhere along the, the way. I learned the message. I think people in my family had the same experience, and I just learned by, by absorbing it. There was nothing bad about any of us. We just didn't know that we were okay to have feelings. And that we weren't our feelings, we weren't our thoughts, we weren't. Our, we thought that we were our feelings, and we were our thoughts. So there was a great deal of pressure, and there was almost no, you know, very little self compassion. Certainly, very little awareness of self compassion. Yes, it's that idea, um, you know, in Buddhist philosophy of the first and the second arrow, right? So, so suffering is inevitable, but or the pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So if you're having the feeling, which is, you know, the pain that you're experiencing, but then you're thinking that the feeling that you're having is bad, well, there's the suffering. So you're already experiencing discomfort on top of it. You're beating yourself up for it. And Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's okay. If it's, it's one thing to say the feeling is bad. It's another thing to say I'm bad. See, when you go with I'm bad, there's really very little, there's nowhere to go with that. That presumes that you don't deserve to be alive. I'm bad means I'm, there's really something wrong with me. Feeling bad. I have a feeling. That's a big step in the right direction right there towards self-compassion. It's a feeling. It's not me. Sometimes people think of self-compassion as something that's really soft. Not sometimes. I feel like most of the time. Oh, self-compassion. You're going to pity yourself. Is that what we're really doing? I'm sure that I've thought of I've thought of it that way before I kind of dived or dove into the research, you know, to really understand why this works. You know, it's so funny about the research that comes out of positive psychology or the field of psychology. And I I, I love researchers and I read a lot of research, but a lot of times, you know, we spend tens of thousands, if not more, of dollars doing research, and you're like, yeah, that's pretty intuitive, <laughs> you know, after you read it. So it turns out that beating yourself up and self-criticism, mm, not so good for motivation. The better path is to treat yourself like you would treat a friend. Yeah, it, it's talking to yourself as if you were someone else, as if you were a friend, and, and externalizing it and saying, would I talk this way to a friend? And the answer is, of course, you would never be that self-critical of a friend. You would be kind. 
but you have to separate it because it makes you aware of how you're talking to yourself. What you're telling yourself is very powerful. And these are not things that are luxuries. This is a real skill that you need to live a happy life. It's a real yes. skill. And we don't, we don't understand that. Like when I say we, I mean me. I, I really don't. I don't get it. I still have that voice in my head that says, oh, this is ridiculous. This is soft. So if we have parents listening, we have kids listening, we have teachers listening, you know, of all ages who are saying, well, how do you, you know, we heard the child at the beginning of the top of the show. And how do you counter that? You know, what exactly do you do? Do you just tell your kid to be good to themselves and be kind to themselves and treat themselves like they would treat a friend? Is that the answer? Um, I luckily enough recently got to interview Kristen Neff who is a pioneer in the field of self-compassion. She basically created the field of self-compassion. And she says that it is more than that, that it's really three components that we're looking at. I'm hearing three different components, right? The way Kindness, the experience. My three components, I've got no three-component model, if you want to say. <laughs> it's um, kindness, self-kindness, um, common humanity, and mindfulness. And really... Okay. I feel like it's so teachable to kids. What's really blown me away is that it's definitely a teachable skill. There's a lot of research now just getting people to write, you know, a paragraph on each of the components, you know, be, be, be aware of the fact that suffering is occurring, be mindful, validate the pain. Um, uh, remember that this is part of common humanity. Write a paragraph talking about how this is part of being human and then write some words of kindness. That very simple writing exercise, which may take, you know, five to ten minutes, can have radical, make radical changes in people's mental well-being. Three components. So kindness is one of them, of course, right? So if you have a friend that's coming to you with a problem, Ed, you have a friend? You have at least a, one yes. friend, right? Well, you have me. I'm your friend. Yeah, I know you have friends. Friend. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> okay. I've if I came to you with a problem and I have come to you with problems before, Ed is kind. You can hear it in his voice and I will tell you that on and off the air, he's the same. So I go to Ed with a problem and he responds in kindness. You know, he looks at me, he empathizes, he is compassionate, he kind of feels what I'm going through and then he responds thoughtfully. And we do that with our friends. Right? Don't we do that with our friends? Sure. Absolutely. It seems to come naturally. Yeah. It seems to come naturally. And we often do it with our kids. Some, Not always, but we often do it with our kids when they come to us and they're really like, you know, imagine your child coming to you and saying, mom or dad or, you know, aunt, uncle, caretaker, I have a problem and can you help me with it? Of course, we respond with kindness and with compassion, um, but we don't do it for ourselves. So this is the first step. Not always the easiest one, especially if we have been, you know, we've wired our brain for years to be self-critical. It's hard. It's hard to be kind. Behind the voices is another little voice saying, that's not going to get you anywhere, that kindness. Kindness with ourselves is the way to go. The second component that Kristen Neff talks about is common humanity. So really remembering that you're not alone, that you're not the only one going through something, that you're not the only one in a particular challenge, that there are others that are experiencing the same challenges because we're all human. I hear you say that a lot, Ed. We're all human. We're all, we're all in it together and we all share these things equally. That No one is ahead or behind. Everyone is the same. 
So remembering that when you're experiencing these the, that loop of negative thoughts, a little gremlin in your head. And then the third component that Neff talks about is mindfulness. Now, this is a word that's used a lot, and really it means awareness. But if you've been in pain at any point in your life, emotional pain or even physical pain, sometimes we don't want to deal with it. We look away. But one of the components of being compassionate, of having self-compassion is really the ability to be mindful of the experience that you're going through. If you're expressing compassion towards someone who doesn't have a home, so sometimes if you're driving or if you're somewhere and you see a homeless person, sometimes you look and sometimes you look away because it hurts or you don't really want to kind of deal with the experience that they're having. Well, we do the same thing with ourselves. When we're having a lot of negative thoughts and they're looping over and over again, sometimes we try to stuff them away or distract ourselves and we're not mindful because we don't want to turn toward the pain. But that's a necessary aspect of kind of looking at that, sitting with that discomfort of self-compassion. So just to recap, kindness toward yourself, common humanity, remembering we're all in it together, and being mindful of the experience that you're going through and really sitting with it. You know, when I'm compassionate to myself, it's I actually, it's it's not when I'm in crisis or in trouble. It's usually I have to f- be feeling better <laughs> to be, which is, of course, you know, a very tough thing. Um, I think people feel like it takes a lot to do that, and like, how dare I? And there's all these voices of guilt, and and also, what does it look like? What does it look? What does it actually look like to be compassionate towards oneself? And I thought, you know, maybe we can role play it. Rolling. Maybe we can do something where uh, I don't know, Rini. Maybe maybe you're you'll be the voice of self compassion. Let's work as one person. Like let's okay. pretend that this is you, and I'm the voice of self criticism in your head. Okay. <laughs> and you will be the voice of self compassion. And and we can have a little dialogue. We can we can, you know, you can turn these phrases around and be be a friend to yourself. But I'll be the opposite. And forgive me if I'm if I'm rude and obnoxious. No, go for it. You'll fit right in in my brain. Um, okay, great. I would say that we should probably have a challenge that we're basing so like something that we're going through that we're basing this around that I'm going through. Tell me. Hmm. I have so many. Which which one should I choose? Sleep. So I have, you know, have two little kids. They've never been the best sleepers. And so I am often sleep deprived. But recently, I'm having this new thing. So in addition to the sleep challenges in my home, which have gotten a little bit better, somehow I'm waking up in the middle of the night. This is going to sound silly because it's not going to sound like a challenge, but I'm telling you it is. I'm waking up inspired, right? I'm having inspiration to write and to work, but at like 2.30 or 3 in the morning. And so I'll, I can't shut my brain off because I'm excited. But then at like six in the morning when I really need to get up, I am so tired, which makes me cranky and, you know, the vicious cycle of being sleep deprived. So I'm getting kind of upset with myself that I'm, you know, doing this repeatedly kind of every night. Okay, so that's my challenge. I'm sleep deprived and I want more sleep. Okay, well, here it comes. Okay. And action. Um. You know, Rini, I can't believe that you allow this to go on. You're the CEO of a company. You know what to do. 
and yet you don't do it. What is wrong with you? I mean, what kind of person does these things? It's crazy. Hey, voice of self-criticism. I see you. I get you. Um, Rini, listen, you have a lot of creative ideas going on in your head, and they're just coming up all throughout the day, including the night. And I totally get why you're not sleeping well, but you probably want to prioritize that. But I understand why you're doing it. That's the first thing I want to tell you. I get it. You know, it's never going to change. That's the thing is, you know how you are and you know that you're, you know, you know that you, you take on too much. I mean, you're just taking, you're taking on way too much and you don't know when to say no. Hey, self-criticism. I get that you're worried about me and you're trying to protect me, but you're really just putting me in additional pain. Um, so I'm going to let myself, <laughs> I'm going to say something kinder to myself. You know, there's other people who've gone through this just like you. So you're not alone. You know, I want you to know that you're not alone in this and that it's not going to be forever. You know, things come and go. And remember in the past when you didn't know that things were temporary, you always thought every feeling was forever, but now you know better. So this is going to pass. Okay. I'm not saying this is the voice of self-criticism, but those are <clears throat> those are really good answers. So let's back up to what you did. Talk about what you did there. I think what we do, of course, when we're being really self-critical, if, imagine if it wasn't our own voice in our head and it was someone else being super critical out loud to us. Maybe you've had someone in your life doing this. Eventually you get mad. You know, you get mad at that other person. You're like, hey, man, <laughs> stop criticizing me. Or you walk away or you ignore or you distract. So we often do that when we have a, this, this voice going on in our head. So what I tried to do in my voice of compassion is not to do that. So I didn't try to quash my critical voice because the research shows that it just doesn't work. It will rear its ugly head over and over again, which is why I was saying, hey, thanks for trying to protect me, you know, but I got this. And so that was my first step. And then my second thing is I was really thinking about what I would say to a friend and just saying it to myself and trying to be authentic because I didn't want to sugarcoat things. I didn't want to say, it's okay, you know, you're fine because I'm not fine. I wanted to say that it's something that you're going through, but it's going to pass. So, so one, I didn't try to quash the critical voice. And two, I tried to be real. I tried to keep it real. That's really interesting. I, I like it. I like it. Well, you do it very well. Obviously. I have practiced a lot. There are a lot of, it's funny, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I'm like, you know that I'm, my natural disposition is to have a very self-critical inner voice. And she was shocked. She was like, what are you talking about? You're like the most optimistic person I know, you know, one of those. And I said, mm, it takes a lot of practice for me. It's taken me a lot of time to rewire my brain. So thank you for saying that. It takes a lot of practice. But it is there. It is there in all of us. It's not going to come out perfectly, of course. But just by, I think a big step is just acknowledging the voice. Hey, I hear what you're saying. One thing that's really fun to do with kids is, and, and adults, you know, because we're all kids, really, but kids love this, is to kind of make fun of that voice. So can you remind me of one of the lines you said being critical in my head? Just give me a one-liner. You should know better, Rini. How can you how can you do this? Okay, Ed, can you sing that for me? You should know better. How can you do this? 
You should know better. How can you do this? How can you do this, Rini? <laughs> exactly. It's hilarious. Okay. Well, Ed is generally hilarious. But if you have something going through your mind over and over again, if a child has something going through their mind, you should try this, right? It is impossible to feel anxious and to laugh at the same time. Um, it is a way to take the power away because a lot of times the voice in our head has a particular type of power. So take the power from it by making it goofy, right? You can sing it. You can kind of make fun of it. So you can stick your tongue out at it like, hey, I hear you voice. Uh, not today. Yeah. You know, how can you, how can you do that? How can you do Well, that's a little mean, but you know, uh, yeah, you can sing it. You, you can make fun of it. You can be silly. You can be, how can you do this? 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 That's all I hear every day. I hear you. It doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound interesting to me. It does. You know? <laughs> it it's doesn't. not something you want to go toward. It's not something you want to be, be friends with. It's not something you want to repeat over and over again. And then one of the things that you said earlier, Ed, was that you don't want to have a fusion between what you're feeling and who you are. So you are not your thoughts, nor are you your feelings. And so one of the things that you can do that's kind of simple is to just say, I'm having the thought that, those are the words that you put in front of the thought, and that that I'm not good enough, right? So then say the thought. I'm having the thought that, dot, 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 insert the thought. And you can teach your kids to do this. And if your kids aren't working with you to do these kind of techniques out loud, you're having a hard time connecting with them and getting them to say, yeah, I really want to try that with you, then try it in writing. You know, a lot of times kids and that sometimes they want to do it on their own. So you can just fill up a page that says I'm having the thought that dot 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 and then have them fill it in because it creates a separation between who they are, their essence, their character, and these thoughts that are temporary and often notoriously inaccurate and have no basis in reality. I also feel like, and we've talked about this before, um, I feel like there's a family game night here. Can you be, will you act out the, the critical voice in your head and, and just act it out? Just tell us what it sounds like. Tell, tell us what you hear. And now I want you to do it in a song. Now I want you to do it in a poem. Now I want you to rap it. And I feel like kids will love that. They'll love it. And they'll exaggerate. They're really good at exaggerating. So it could be funny and it could also be something for the family to realize, you know, the, the movie Inside Out is such a great movie. We all have the same voices in the control room in our brains. We, that's what that movie does. It's the same for everybody. It sounds silly. It sounds crazy. And it's all funny if you externalize it. If it goes on in your head and you don't check it and you think that's who you are, then there's a lot of pain and suffering that goes on with that. I feel like this could also be an app. I'm just so I've never been on Tinder, but for some reason I know that you have to swipe right and left. I think that's yeah. I think that's Tinder. I feel like that's what needs to happen with our thoughts. Like swipe, swipe, swipe. Nope, nope, nope. No, that's not a match. That's not a match. And then the keep you keep the ones that are good. I think it would make a fun app. Well, there certainly could be a dear anxiety home game. We play games in our heads all the time. Why not play games to an end where you're trying to feel better and help yourself? I don't know. I feel like when we're going through something so serious that we think the antidote needs to be so serious, right? And it's part of the reason why we're very playful and go zen. We understand that mental health is a serious issue and what we're going through as a country and globally is very serious, right? But that doesn't mean that we can't use play 
to counteract what's going on, which I think, Ed, you do beautifully. Well, I, I really feel like mental health and comedy, uh, emotional well-being and comedy are, are, should be married. I think it's the, per- the one makes it safe to feel and explore anything that's scary or uncomfortable or weird, seemingly weird. And the other one is the tool and the skill that you can practice to feel better. So I, I don't think there's anything more powerful than those two together. Can I ask um, you and, about an improv skill since you are, in, you know, you're a comedian and you know a lot about the techniques and a lot of people probably don't know and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a skill that you can have a lot of raw talent, but you can also learn. Yes. Okay. So I want to know that if you have, if you're a kid or you're an adult and you have a negative thought in your head that keeps looping, let's just say it's, I'm never going to be good at school um, or I suck at math, you know, one or the other. Let's pick one of those. How can we use the yes and technique? Can you teach us a little bit about that to yeah, work through it, that? It, it really is adding on. You're acknowledging, you're saying it again, you say it out loud. And, you know, I'm never, listen, I am never going to be good at math. And that's just fine with me. And I'm, I, and I'm okay. There's other things that I'm good at. And uh, listen, I might be the, the president of a Fortune 500 company. I might be a star athlete. I might be, you know, a great tennis player. I might be really good at eating fudge. I so can say it. the trick is to not shut it down and not say no? Say yes. Say yes. You know, we talk about living. It's called living in a yes field. You're, you're living in the world of yes, where everything is possible and everything is welcome. And the key to being a great improviser is listening. You listen. You don't have to make fun of it right away. You just, you receive what the other person or the situation is telling you. Um, Yes, you're, yeah, my hair is on fire. Yes, it's really on fire and it hurts and it burns. And listen, this might be a whole new business for me. Might be a new salon. I could see it going over really big in Beverly Hills. Uh, (laughs) Burning Man Hair Salon. I can see it, Burning Head. I've got the title. I've got the whole thing. I mean, there there is nothing that you can't go with. But if you go the other way, and if you go the other way, and you say, it's not okay to have this feeling and there's something wrong with me, then you've got the feeling, you've got the self-criticism, there's nowhere to go, and you're hurting yourself. This is this causes pain. One causes freedom, the other one causes pain. And it's so a choice. I just want to be clear about something because we're talking about self-compassion and obviously the word self is it is in it. And so we're talking about an introspective process. But this is also what you're talking about with yes and. What's coming up for me is this is a conversation that you can have with your kids because a lot of times, so again, we heard the child in the beginning. If a child is coming to us with that, our instinct is, oh my goodness, listen to all these heavy, horrible things that are going through my child's head. I need to immediately say to them, no, 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 you shouldn't think like that. You're, you know, and I get it. I'm, I'm a parent and I have little kids. I have a four and a five-year-old. So I get why we would do that. But Ed, don't you think that this yes and is something that we can do with our kids? So we're not shutting them down. Absolutely. I do. And, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not still not great at it, but I practice it. I do it with my daughter. You know, my daughter's going, you know, if she's going through a hard time, she'll say something. And, and what I used to do is I used to try to fix it or shut it down, or keep it moving. And what I do is I listen to her and I say, wow, that really su- that really stinks. Or that really, you know, it sounds like you're in a lot of pain. That must really hurt. And we're still going to go on our walk, right? Let's go on our walk now. 
Hmm. And we're still going to go talk to your friend, right? We're still going ice skating. We're still going to sit down and have a smoothie, right? Yeah. So validate, but don't escalate. Validate and add to it. It's dialectics, right? They call it dialectics. It's two things that are seemingly opposite, but you put them together. And it's a very therapeutic, it's, it's, it's a very supportive way to deal with your child. You don't, parenting is hard when you try, men do this, and I don't, I'm not, I don't want to generalize, but it is a thing where you try to fix it. You want to take it away or you feel exhausted and you feel like, I don't want to deal with this now. Well, guess what? The easiest way to do it is to actually listen to them. It's easier to listen. It's not harder. Just listen. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. They don't like me. They'll never be my friend again. They're not going to be. I'm never going to have any friends. Wow. You sound like you're having a really hard time. I and- love that. I mean, I'm sorry. I know that sounds painful for the child, but I love that because if you're in a space, I think what happens to a lot of us is that one, if you're around this, let's call it negativity for the time being, right? You're feeling like it's a really negative environment. My child's being very negative or someone around me is being negative or I'm being negative. I would say with what you're saying, Ed, that we would challenge you to make a shift and try this technique, right? Try the technique of yes and with your child or with yourself, And it's going to take some practice, right? Because if you're steeped in this, oh my goodness, this environment is so negative and I can't take it anymore and I don't want to be around this person anymore. I feel like this is something that can make a shift pretty immediately, but it needs to be intentional. That's what I want to say. you You can do it with yourself. You can do it with your child. You can do it with a friend. You can practice it. These are all things that you can practice. And Rini, I want to, I want to get to this, you know, sometimes we talk about, you know, listeners and some of the issues that they're having, and I know we're going to be doing that in, in, in the shows, but there are a lot of resources uh, that you have, and you have a great self-compassion journal, which I've actually used and has helped me tremendously on GoZen. Can you, can you talk about some of the resources that you have um, on GoZen? Yes, absolutely. So we create animated programs to teach kids social and emotional learning skills. So, you know, our main programs are these cartoons. But one of the things that we also do, which a lot of people don't know, is we create little workbooks, we create worksheets, because sometimes people like to learn in different ways. And as Ed mentioned, one of the ones that we have is a self-compassion journal. So that can be found at gozen.com forward slash plus. And in plus, you can find the self-compassion journal that teaches you six research-based self-compassion exercises. And it's done in a way that's very pretty because it has beautiful illustrations and you can do at your own pace. Um, So gozen.com forward slash plus. And also I wanted to mention, you know, the kids that you hear during the show are real kids that are sending in their audios to us. So their parents or someone in their life that's a grown up is recording their voice with a phone and sending it to us because we're trying to reach more kids, right? We want to hear the voices of kids and really hear authentically about what they're going through. So if you have something to contribute, go to gozen.com forward slash dear anxiety. If you want to send us a little clip, it's totally anonymous. Of course, you'll notice we never say anyone's name or anything like that. So we would love to hear from you. So gozen.com forward slash dear anxiety. And Ed, we've gone through a lot of stuff today. So I'd like to do kind of a little bit of a recap. Um, We talked about self-compassion and how it is a more powerful motivator than self-criticism, says science, says a lot of science. 
the three components of self-compassion are kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. We talked about the idea that you are not your thoughts. There should be a diffusion of yourself from that. So you can use exercises such as saying, I am having the thought that dot, 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 and then inserting the thought. You can make fun of your thoughts, right? You can sing your thoughts. You can use yes and techniques. And all of these techniques that we're giving you have a couple of things in common. The first thing is don't try to quash the thought, quash it, squash it, running away from it. The research shows just makes it stronger. And the second thing is it can be playful. You know, and the playfulness takes the power away from that thought. And then really just overall, one thing that we've said is that, you know, we have thousands and thousands of thoughts every day. Some scientists say upwards of 60 or 70,000 thoughts a day, and most of those not so accurate. So, you know, we can just let them go by, let them float by, let them float by. Fantastic. And you can even swipe it. It's a good thing to think about. Swiping. You're swiping in apps all day long. Swipe your thoughts. This has been, really, this is a very, there's a lot of good stuff in this show. There'll be other shows. There'll be many other shows. We do a different theme every show. We're going to do all all these mental health issues that we keep inside. We're unlocking them and setting them free and, and exploring them. And like Rini says, you really can record your kid, and it's a great way to figure out what's going on with them. Yes. Um, a lot of times they say them. more in the recording. You're, you're recording them, and you're like, what were you saying? You know, I didn't know that. Yeah, give them a voice. Somehow when, when they're able to put it outside themselves and do it for a project or something, it, it may make it less intimidating for them to do. Um, I think that's that's it for today's uh, episode of Dear Anxiety. And at the end of every um, episode, we have a voice of a child. And this part at the end of the show is more uh, solution based, more advice based. And so we'll roll that for you. We're going to be back with another episode of Dear Anxiety next week. And uh, thanks for joining us. And Rini, uh, terrific, terrific, uh, terrific advice, great skills, and something that isn't talked about enough, self-compassion. Thank you, Ed. If you ever say that you don't like yourself, then you should think about all the good things that you do. It could be really simple, like it could be that you're good at skipping or you're a fast runner. There is a negative part of your brain, which means that it tells you bad stuff. And then there's a positive side of your brain that tells you like, okay, calm yourself down, you can do it. So when the two sides are kind of fighting against each other, you'll kind of get mad at yourself and you kind you kind of don't know what to do. But you should always listen to the positive side because if you listen to the negative side, you'll never feel like you're doing anything. You'll never feel like you're improving and you'll never ever feel like you fit in.